Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. I got a puppeteer on today. Believe it or not, <laughs> that has been one of the weird themes that has emerged on this podcast uh, over the last two years. Puppeteers seem to keep coming up. And it's not a thing that I expected. It's not a thing that I ever planned for. But one of the first guests from Sesame Street was John Tartaglia. He's gone on to be one of the producers on the new Fraggle Rock revival and uh, one of the lead puppeteers over there. I talked to Sarah Stiles, who was on Avenue Q on Broadway. Michelle Zamora, who plays Waffles on Waffles and Mochi and runs an amazing puppet company out in L.A., and I talked to Paul Rugg, who did some of the puppeteering and voices on Earth to Ned on Disney+. And not in the puppet world, but in the Sesame Street world, I talked to Sonia Manzano, who played Maria on Sesame Street. And it's funny because since those first interviews where I talked to a bunch of puppeteers, my son in that meantime has gotten really into Sesame Street. He's in a big Sesame Street phase right now. He's always loved the Muppets, too. And he's really fascinated with how they work. So it's funny, Warwick Brownlow Pike is my guest today. He's a puppeteer based in the UK, and he also plays Gonger on Sesame Street. Warwick and I had connected initially over social media because my kids were really interested in how there was a trick of Gonger done on Sesame Street. And I wrote about this in the newsletter a few weeks back and shared some pictures. Basically, long story short, we built a little green screen at home, mocked up this shot with a, with a stuffed Gonger toy, and I had tagged Warwick on Instagram and he thought it was awesome. And he sent me a note and he said, oh, wow, I'd love to see the video they made. And, you know, I'm so excited to see little kids into puppeteering. That's awesome. So we traded some messages back and forth. I sent him the video of my kids. And then I mentioned the podcast to him. And he was so great about giving up some time to chat and to share puppeteering knowledge and, and really gave me some ideas to help guide my kids, my son in particular, who's really into this, towards what could be a really cool career. You'll hear it today in the interview, Warwick himself started as a little kid and had parents that were super supportive and just helped him figure this all out. And now he's been doing it professionally for a long time. So it's a pretty cool story and uh, it's pretty awesome just having a podcast like this where, you know, my kid is interested in something and I can connect with people that do it. It's very cool. I do want to acknowledge uh, some Sesame Street news that happened between the time that Warwick and I talked and the time this interview is being released. And that is, of course, the passing of Emilio Delgado, who played Luis on Sesame Street. Luis was a character from even before my childhood. I certainly remember him growing up on the show. Loved his singing, loved his energy, loved his smile. And it's funny because my kids really connected with him, too. Because of this Sesame Street phase that they're going through, they've been watching a lot of classic episodes on HBO Max. There's a bit that they fell in love with from probably the late 70s, early 80s, where Emilio Delgado is just crawling along on the floor and it's just, it's shot against like a white psych. It's, there's no set at all. And he's looking for water. And the only line he has in it is agua. He keeps looking for agua and keeps talking about agua. My kids are obsessed with that bit. They saw it randomly on HBO and think it's the funniest thing. And then after Emilio died, they watched he and Maria's wedding on Sesame Street. They watched some other classic episodes like where the adults find out about Mr. Snuffleupagus. It's just, it's amazing to me that shows that I grew up with, that they still resonate with little kids today. 
and that the show can go in new directions too. And that, that's what Warwick's doing with Gonger. It's just so cool to, uh, to see that spark in a new generation and to be able to share something with my kids that mattered to me growing up. So I'm excited that I got to talk to Warwick. Not only does he do Sesame Street, he also has had an amazing career working for the CBBC, which is like the kids' BBC channel over in the UK. He's famous for doing the character Dodge the Dog over there. And uh, we get into that. We get into some of his other characters. We talk about Sesame Street. We talk about becoming a puppeteer. I hope you'll enjoy it. Here it is, my talk with Warwick Brownlow Pike. I want to first start by asking you just about this crazy, you know, last two years, this pandemic time. What uh, What's it been like for you? It's quite wild, isn't it? I mean, it's been crazy for everybody. Like, it's a blur now, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but I remember thinking, okay, this is coming. We were we were shooting our show at CBeebies at the time yep. in the UK, which is the BBC preschool show with my puppet Dodge the Dog. I'm the puppet character on the show. Yeah, yeah. And we kind of, we were hearing it in the news. In fact, I'd just come back from New York. I was in, I was at Sesame Street in New York. Yeah. And as, as I was about to fly out, the news was breaking. So at that point, I was like, hmm, this is a bit scary. This is like, you know, this might turn into something that's not too good. But I don't know, the world was still moving. Yeah. <laughs> like at the train station, there were thousands of people around on the air, at the airport. There were thousands of people. So I went to New York and we did Sesame for the week and didn't think about it again whilst I was there. And then came home, went back to the studio in the UK. And that's when we were like, oh no, something's going on. Something's actually happening here. And they were like, you know, keep your distance. And the, the studio is too small. You can't really keep a distance. So at that point, I was kind of bringing up the, the thought of, I can do this from home if I need to. Uh-huh. Obviously not with all these people. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it solo at home. And that was unlike, I don't know, the uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday. And by the Tuesday, we were working from home. Wow. We, we were at home. I was in my bedroom, <laughs> me and a camera and a backdrop and a puppet. Wow. And how and long we stayed that, that way for yeah. 18 weeks. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of content. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I imagine the format must have changed significantly though, by like yeah. just the way the interactions happen and stuff couldn't be as organic without everybody in person. Exactly. And like, you know, it takes a while to organize that kind of thing if you want interaction, because like we couldn't just jump on a Zoom call and record that because it's out going out for broadcast on TV right. and it's educational. And, you know, there's kind of a standard we want to try and keep to. So I was doing solo stuff for a while. And then, uh, and that would be me like looking at kids' artwork or, you know, reading stuff out that had been sent in, talking about the character's day, singing songs, those kind of things that you can do solo, yeah. quite easy to to manage. And then we tried to get uh, a bit more ambitious and we were doing like, my character would be in the laptop of somebody else's. <laughs> so I'd shoot my piece and then they'd post that. The editor would post that into the laptop in the back of someone else's shot and they would interact. But then there's all the timings and stuff because... You know, you're not in the same room together. So the intonation has to be right. And (laughs) it worked out quite nice. Were you able to record off of each other at all? Like to talk over Zoom as you're performing? Or was it literally just you do your part, they do their part, and then cut together and hope the performances somewhat match energy and stuff? We would have liked to have done it in real time. Yeah. And we tried that. But like there was just everybody was online. (laughs) The, the, The delays were humongous. You know, it was driving us crazy. It kind of it was worse trying to do it together in real time mm. than it would have been doing it individually and, po- and cutting it together. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of shows did musical 
numbers during that time too and just figuring out the timing on yeah. all that like did you have any experience with that yeah or? well when we record a musical number in the studio there are so many people involved in it yeah and everybody is an expert at what they do and now all of a sudden there's me sat on my bedroom floor trying to do all of those things right <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like and you just don't consider it you have to press play on the track yeah okay and the track needs to go into your ears but not into the camera's mic yep. into the microphone that's recording because if there's a track on, on recording onto the picture it's not going to sound very good they need to put the track in and post but i need to hear the track to sing along in time <laughs> so you're, you're you're singing as you're puppeteering and you're hearing the music pre-recorded so here. i'm pressing play on the on the audio yeah. that's playing to my ears i'm pressing record on the camera yeah because oftentimes it was just me yeah there was no one else there you know the family weren't there or they were doing their, what they needed to do. Sure. <laughs> so, so I'm pressing play on the, on the audio, record on the camera, putting the puppet up in the air, then trying to think about the song <laughs> and the performance. By that point, I'd knocked over a light. You know, <laughs> the camera d- turned off. The, the track had already started. It was too late. I couldn't sing. <laughs> it was like uh, Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. Yeah. With, you know, the one man band doing everything. <laughs> the drum on his back. And, <laughs> and like, and, yeah, and like just sweating and. <laughs> well, I suppose like different people have different levels of comfort with that, too, in terms of just setting up the shot and lighting. You know, like those are all. 10 different discrete jobs usually when you're in a studio setup. yeah like yeah. how how was that for you in terms of kind of having to be a one-man band and do all those pieces yourself well to an extent it was okay because i'd always been doing that as a puppeteer since i was like eight nine ten years old because uh-huh. that's how i learned to puppeteer i would set up cameras and i would put the puppet up and set up a monitor and practice my puppetry on camera at home yeah so i'd kind of been doing it but then like nobody's going to see that stuff. <laughs> I can stop and start and stand up and right. and be silly. But now like you need the lights and you need to think about the shadows and all this. I'd never done that kind of thing, you know, to, to this kind of level. That's what pushed me over the edge of like, okay, this is beyond my skill set. These, these kind of things. Sure. I do my best, but. <laughs> well, and I think too, like in a studio setup, usually you're working off of a monitor. Like, did you have a monitor set up at home or were you trying to work off of the iPhone screen? I would always use a monitor. Yeah. Okay. Always. So I have a monitor that was actually connected to the iPhone. I was shooting on an iPhone. Yeah. Then I had a connection from the lightning to a HDMI and then that goes down into the monitor. Gotcha. So I, I'd always see it. Yeah, I couldn't do it without a monitor. It'd look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's it's the front facing like the selfie camera, you know, which is already yeah. kind of downgraded from the from the backside yes. one. And then yeah. yeah, trying to see it on that little tiny screen. <laughs> that's yeah. That's yeah, tough. yeah, yeah. Um, so you that was uh that was for Dodge. Did you have to do any work for Sesame from home as well? Or yeah, we did some specials for Sesame where the characters would all kind of zoom call in. Yeah. And luckily, by that point, I had kind of perfected. <laughs> I'd ironed out all of the bumps and stuff. So it was good by that point. But, um, you know, we set up in my kitchen. We kind of dressed my kitchen. My kitchen's not that big yeah. <laughs> to have a camera. And we like, you know, things you don't consider. When, when If a puppet is cooking, he needs to be at the kitchen counter. Right. Like, And in most TV shows, if someone's at the kitchen counter, then the camera's beyond the camera is the fourth wall, you know, the camera's beyond the wall. There is no wall there, (laughs) but uh, in reality, there are walls everywhere. So then we have to like set up a fake counter in front of him. Yeah. So we have like my kitchen counter and then me in this channel and then a fake kitchen counter (laughs) and then kind of the walls there. So the camera's right here. It's such a squeeze. 
but it was great to, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, hang on, I'm making Sesame Street in my very own kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and for that, there are many people on the line. There are many produce- producers. So we have the whole recording set up and then, a, and you know, the ears for the recording and everything and the mic, but then a setup to be online with a production team yeah, because they're guiding you for every single, there's someone, somebody directing, there's somebody produced, or there are many producers. Uh, there are the other performers are on the line. Whereas with the CBB stuff, it was very isolated. It was just me. I'd get my uh, schedule of things I need to get through yeah. for the day or for the week. And I would work my way through those things. And was that something like with the CBB's work, could you bang those out in a day if you wanted to, and then, you know, have the rest of the week or like, how did you just fitting that in with like the rest of your life, I guess, during that time? I was strict about like, you know, I'm getting up today. I'm working today. This yeah. is between this time and this time is a work day and there's a lunch break in the middle. Otherwise, you know, I would have just, I never would have got anything done. Right. <laughs> and I've never had to do that really before to set my own hours. But I would schedule it, you know, in my brain, I could look at what needs to be done and then rearrange it. You know, yeah. these things can all happen together on this day. These things are harder. So I'll, I'll put them at the end of the week. I don't want to think about those, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I couldn't really have got it all done in a day. I mean, I could have got it in a, in a complete day, maybe, yeah. but not in a work, not in a work day. And then there's all the thing of like, once you've shot everything, it needs to be uploaded. And oh, these right. files are humongous. Sure. <laughs> so it takes days to get, to get the stuff across. Because again, everybody's online at this point. Right. In the pandemic, everybody's constantly online. So the, the uploads are slow and, you know, we're doing Dropbox and WeTransfer and all these kind of things. Even just, I'm sure, managing like the space on your phone. Like, you know, if, if you knew this was coming, you may have bought the biggest phone. But, you know, if you had uh-huh. 64 gig or something, then, yeah. you know, every And my time phone's always full up. Yeah, exactly. My phone is constantly just, just about like about to explode because right. it's got so much stuff on it. And then I need like the whole Alphabet song five times on it <laughs> in high quality video. <laughs> and we were also actually recording separate audio. Oh, okay. Uh, just in case. I think most of the time it was okay, but like just in case the file would get there and I don't know, it's mute or something. Because again, like you're thinking of so many different things. It was just good to have a backup because the last thing you want to do is go back and do it again. Right. <laughs> oh. it, it feels good to be on the other side of a lot of that, I'm sure. It does. Yeah. It was kind of exciting and I liked being at home so much. Yeah. We got so much done. Like I was doing the CBB stuff, the Sesame stuff. I did some pilots from home nice. because then uh, like somewhere in the middle, people were scrambling for content. Yeah. And like, you know, we need, uh, we need stuff that can be made from home as, as puppet people. We just kind of, I feel like we were one step ahead of the game in terms of like, Hey, we can do puppets from home. We always do puppets oh, from right. home. This is how we, this is how we learn. Yeah. So, uh, the people around me knew that and they were like, you know, do you have a puppet? Can you make it look like this? Right. And my wife is an art director. Oh, cool. Can you, uh, make a little set for us? Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, Oh, hang on. We can do all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I want to kind of dig into your story some in part because, you know, what first connected us was my son is at the age now he's turning six in like three weeks here and is just obsessed with Sesame Street, not just like obsessed, like in the way that kids watch it and say, oh, you know, I love Big Bird or Elmo or whatever. But like he is at the point now where he's very interested in the behind the scenes stuff. He wants me to Google like how puppeteers work and he wants to see, you know, you guys down on the dollies and, you know, doing Mm -hmm. this kind of thing. And he also like, he's really into the performers and just like, he can tell the difference between like Carol Spinney and Matt Vogel as big bird. He's just like, Oh, that's Carol in that episode. I'm like, wow. Okay, cool. You know, like 
it's yeah. kind of it's interesting and I, I want to foster that in him and you know i i'm curious sort of for you you're talking about starting at like eight or nine years old like where did that bug come from and like how did that first manifest itself well i first got bitten by the bug by the muppet bug uh-huh. <laughs> at the age of two i saw the muppet show yeah and and it was just everything i needed and wanted (laughs) so i was obsessed and have been since that age and like your son you know most of us as kids we were like oh i know who that puppeteer is i know the style or the voice i can you know if it would be an if a new character would come on you you would be able we would be able to tell which of the performers were doing that character just because we were so in tune so it's great that he can do that already like he's getting into it because that's just how we did and we were like i want to see the people underneath and you know you'd find a magazine or a book or maybe a documentary and even now like if I'm watching my friends perform puppeteers, I'll take those photos and I'm always trying to frame up the photo to the way I saw them as a kid in those books, oh, awesome. you know, cause yeah. I'm so, I'm just so interested in what's happening below sure. the frame. Yeah. 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 And I, I was doing it from such a young age. Like I had puppets from the age of two onwards, they would buy me puppets and around the age of seven or eight, we'd make our own puppets around the same time. We had a video camera. My parents bought a video camera so I could do puppets on the camera yeah. and we we'd hook up to the TV. Uh, my mum was technical, so so she would just be like, "Oh yeah, we can do that." She figured it out. With me, sometimes I'm like, "There's a block." Yeah, that's just that's like this is a really hard thing for me to get my head around. But she just kind of knew. She has that brain. She knew what to do. She can do it. I'm curious too. Like, I feel like we're. I, I was born in '84. I think we're around the same age, right? Yeah, '85. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I I come from a similar background of just making home videos and, you know, having a video camera around and messing with that and ended up, you know, becoming a TV producer off of that. Like just Mm -hmm. because of, you know, years and years of practice with my friends. You were doing it already. Yeah. 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 I mean, from (laughs) the same as you, like eight, nine years old, but like, it's interesting thinking about, you know, with my kids now and like just iPhones and YouTube, but like, it's a different learning curve now in part because it is kind of so public. Like I'm sure you have like me hours of just videotape that nobody has ever seen. That's just you <laughs> yeah. messing around learning the craft. Like, yeah. do you ever think about that? Or just sort of like kids today, yeah. like, you know, not having that space to figure that out, mm. maybe, or, you know, having to do it publicly. Yeah. I'm so glad that nobody, that I, <laughs> I've, I've said it before. Like, I'm so glad that I came in at that time where right. nobody gets to see <laughs> all my practicing and rehearsing. <laughs> because it's just hours and hours and you know it's silly stuff and all some of it's awful stuff but yeah i don't i wouldn't want to have learned all that publicly yeah and you know just have it around forever but on the flip side it's so cool that it's so easy for them yeah you know if we could have had an ipad or an iphone and just like put it up and there you go there's the picture it's videoing yeah you're in production yeah right <laughs> yeah. it's in your hand where it like it was a bit of a to do to get the camera and the tape yeah. and the, and hooking it up and stuff right. and then you know you can only do it when somebody else is not using the tv yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so then they got to an age where they would go out and i'd say no no i'm gonna stay at home and as soon as they left i'd like hook it up and get on the floor and get a puppet out <laughs> practice 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 until they came home were you doing like like puppets with mouths at an early age or was it first just like kind of hand puppets no always puppets with mouths yeah because i wanted them to talk i, yeah. I wanted to hear them you know i wanted to do those little silly skits and stuff and i really learned by lip syncing to records oh interesting so like not too dissimilar from when i was working from home in the pandemic like i'd run over and put a record on put the pin on get it going jump over in front of the camera (laughs) and then just like let the album play out and lip sync along 
and think about all the breaths in the you know in the performance and the intonation and all that kind of and, and how the movement of the puppet should sync up to that voice interesting yeah, I talked to uh, Paul Rugg, who worked on uh, Earth to Ned, and he w- he did some of the, the he did the voice and he did the like the mouth control for it, uh, yeah. which was all like robotic. But he was mm. talking about just the difference between like an L and an O and an A that they're all different motions. Which to me, you know, I think of like okay, it's just up and down. But you're right, like, yeah, to yeah. make it believable. There's there's so many other things that our mouths are doing with every little yeah. syllable. Like I'm wondering just for you, like it sounds like it was just intuitive. Like you just kind of figured that out. Like where did that yeah. come from? Well, I think so because I started at such a young age Yeah, and I never had that moment to think about it. It was just happening. I was just doing it. You yeah. know, I don't remember a time when I didn't do it. Okay. But like when we're teaching, we, we talk about that, you know, think about the vowels and stuff, but think about the, the shape your ma- your lips would make because right. lots of these puppets like Gonga or Elmo uh, or Kermit and Fozzie, their mouths, you know, they are one shape. They are yeah. mostly open and closed. So you need to fake it. Mm. Right? Kermit has a softer palate. So you can kind of get those little shapes out of it sometimes. But most of them are quite hard. Rolf the dog, very hard mouth. Yeah. You don't not believe that he's saying all those things, though, because of the, the subtlety and the performance. Yeah. I'm curious too, like, I feel like that's something that you probably learned at an early age of just that mm. when you see a Muppet on screen, even if they're like a background character that's not doing anything you believe that they're alive. It, like they feel like they're breathing. And it's hard to articulate that there, there's a handful of shots that I can think of where like I can tell there's a shot in Muppet Christmas Carol where um, Gonzo and Rizzo are like up on the shelf in the schoolhouse. And then they cut to a wide shot and it's like on a pan. And for two seconds, you can tell that like the puppets are just sitting on the shelf. And that has driven me crazy since I was a little kid. Like, I'm just like, oh, they're not like a lot. Like, I can just tell them <laughs> yeah. for that one, that one little, you know, two seconds of a pan, they've cheated. But like, for the most part, you believe they're breathing and living. Like, how, how hard was that, I guess, to learn? Yeah, well, that is one of my favorite things. Even to this very day, it's one of my favorite things to, you know, when I go to work, I put the puppet on, I get behind the desk or below the frame, and then I mostly keep the puppet up the entire time. Wow. Because... It's my favorite thing to watch the puppet live his life yeah. for the day. You know, it's not interesting for me to, to be interacting there. It's interesting for me to watch him interact with people and people talk straight to the puppet. And again, like I, I learned it at such a young age, but I, I watched and like, it's a testament to the performance where you just said, because you, you notice, even though it's a couple of frames, you notice that they weren't being performed because yeah. those guys are so good at what they do. Right. I mean, watch Gonzo, watch any frame of Gonzo and he's completely and utterly alive. Yeah. Like it's, I still love it so much. I, I watch all of the, all of the puppeteers on all those shows and I'm like, ah, oh, it's just so good. I think of like, <laughs> and I'm so involved in it, but I, just, I don't think about the people underneath what, when I'm watching, I just completely buy into it. And like somebody once said, like the floor is so important. You never see the feet in the floor, but it's so important in those moments because when there's gravity on a puppet, then that really sells the fact that they they're just there. They're just yeah. existing. Yeah. It's just their life. It's their day. Yeah. Well, I was watching some of uh, the, the foodie truck segments before this, and um, there was one little bit that it, it I think it was like in, in the opening piece of it, maybe, or, or, you know, it was an introduction of one of those segments though, but where Gonger like, He's dancing and then his foot just kind of flops up for like <laughs> half a second. I was like, oh, he's really there. Like there was just something, it was, it was such <laughs> yeah. a subtle, but like something like that. Like, is that something that you can kind of improv in a moment or is that something like, is there an assistant there with a foot? Like how, how planned out is 
a little thing like that to to show a foot for example sometimes it's like it's just like jazz like it's you're vibing it but you know the tool so well you know i don't like to refer to them as tools but they're tools they're like a musical instrument sure i know that if i flinch my elbow this way the foot might flick up yeah and you know so if you want it to happen it can happen that's in the moment when you're just doing it but then Really, if we were planning, you know, and then he does this and then he kicks his leg, you'd have an assistant. Yeah. You'd put a rod in the leg and you'd have an assistant do that move for you. Gonga has legs attached. Cookie Monster doesn't have legs attached. Right. He's a big kind of sack puppet. He's loose. So you'd need a whole person with a big meaty Cookie Monster leg <laughs> on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, dep- it dep- I suppose it depends on what you're doing. Like if we're doing a, a song or a dance and it is like a dance, you know, we just know that by doing this with my arm, it will make that happen. It will make the belly jump forward or the bum shake or that, you know, the leg will just bounce up. The residual movement will bounce up the leg. I suppose it's like somebody who can play the piano really well. They just know that by moving their finger over there, that will happen. Yeah. How much, like when you're on a new character, do you have time with it? Like either, I assume, I guess maybe just on set when they're, you know, setting up and things, but like, do you ever take them home and just like practice in a mirror, like to, to learn some of those intricacies, I guess, and, and the, you know, the quirks of each character? Yeah, to learn how to physically move it. I suppose it's a good idea to take it home and maybe look in the mirror. I don't really ever work in the mirror. Uh-huh. I work on a monitor because that's the best way. You know, that's how it's always going to look. It's always right. going to come across well on a, on a monitor. So to work in a mirror, you know, you probably hold it beside you. And you would never perform one of those puppets beside you. They're always above your head, yeah. uh, um, raised up above your head, and you'd be sat below it. So the the best way for me to do that is to be on camera, yeah. And ideally, there'd be other characters around because it's all the it's the bounce off. You know, what they say to you is just as important as what you m- might want to say to them or what you might be thinking. Because when Cookie interacts with Gonga, then it informs me. Like you know, I just I just say whatever comes into my mind yeah. straight out. I don't think about it. There's no. It's not premeditated. And then I'll be like, oh, <laughs> I just learned something new about this character <laughs> that, I didn't, that I didn't know. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's passive. Like, yes, it's me doing it. There's no doubt about it. It's 100% me doing it, but it's free-flowing information. But sometimes it like, you know, it comes out before I thought about it. Right. I don't know. It's such an odd thing. But like with Gonga, for instance, I was lucky because I picked him up. He, he, we did a show called The Furchester Hotel, yeah. CBBS and Sesame, which is like 40 Towers with the Muppets. Yeah. And in the first season, somebody else did gonger and he just, he gonged the gong and that was kind of it. And then that person didn't come back for the second season. So I took over the character and I was just like full of uh, energy and beans. And I'm like, Oh, w- what can we do? It's exciting. I, Cause I always loved the look of that puppet. When we very first walked into the rehearsal room, I ran along the table and looked at all the puppets and he was the last one. And I was like, Oh, that guy looks like he's from the Ed Sullivan show, the Muppets yeah. on the Ed Sullivan show. Right. He just is frazzled and he's weird and he's wiry. That's funny. He just looks funny. So I managed to perform him for the second block. And because he wasn't a lead, he didn't have much to do. So I just had time to mess. Yeah. So like they would come to him to hit the gong, but this time he was in the kitchen. He was a, a chef. In the first season, he just hit the gong. In the second season, they'd given him chef duties. So he, he was in the kitchen with Cookie Monster. Yeah. And did he have the chef hat in the first block? No. Or was, okay, so he was naked in the first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just a ball of, of pink fuzz. Yeah. yeah. Just pink fuzz. So he dressed up for the second series. And then he was with Cookie. So whenever David Rudman was there, we would just be messing around. And they, the characters had a funny relationship. Yeah. A different relationship to me and David, but just funny, like silly. I don't know, like, you know, 
Cookie Monster, you know, we all know what Cookie Monster's like. And then you kind of think like Cookie's going to be the wackiest in the room. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this guy comes along and you're like, oh no, this is taken up a notch. Yeah. <laughs> and normally two wacky, two people who are wacky like that, they don't work, they clash. But somehow it, it just works. You know, I think they have a good relationship, but it all just came from play. Yeah. It just came from play. And then, so when they would come to me to gong the gong, I was like, well, I don't want to just gong the gong. We did that 52 times in the last series. Right. So let's let's make something of it each time. And I'd be scribbling down ideas and coming up with little bits and, you know, trying to tie them into the rest of the episode. Because scripted would just be, he gongs the gong. Yeah. And if it was, I don't know, if it was an episode about, uh, if Big Bird was there, for instance, I would have him have a big yellow feather and he's like looking at it and then sneezing or something. Just silly little <laughs> things that would just like heighten it a bit more. Yeah. And give fits it with the more. story and the theme and of that episode. Yeah. 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 And then I'd be like, because I just can't stop. I'd be like talking to the props guys because he was in a kitchen. I'd be like, come on, let's get some bubbles in this pot behind us. And then he can be cooking back there. I was just constantly like being creative and trying to do things. And then I'd like bring a little chicken puppet in and a lamb puppet in. I was having my own my own show in the kitchen while those guys were making the real show. Yeah. So that I mean that's such a lovely luxury to be able to play and ease in and I kind of did what I wanted to do. There was nobody saying, you know, you have to do this, you've got all these lines to learn. So I was really lucky that the producer of that show, Rob Jenkinson, you know, kind of gave me the puppet and then he was like he's cantankerous. He, yeah. he came up with a whole like he's, you know, he's annoyed, he's cantankerous. So I just ran with that. And I loved, I just loved doing that. And that's what it's been the whole way along now. It's right. just always it seems to be like, I'm kind of left alone to do it. <laughs> but he resonates too. And that's like, that's kind of the piece that I am, I've been caught off guard with. And I'm, I'm sure probably for you too, like my, my daughter's turning nine uh, this month as well. So she's a little older and just the difference in that three-year age gap of like my son coming up now and having Gonger. And my daughter didn't really, it's become like Elmo was like in our childhood, you know, like just, uh, you know, (laughs) I don't know, like it's, he's he's on the merchandise and like, is that strange for you to just see like, you know, the the pack of toys with Cookie Monster and and Grover and and Oscar and Gonger? It's absolutely mind blowing to me. Yeah. It's just, I don't think I'll ever get over it. When I saw that there was like a figure set with all the classic figures in it. Yeah. And Gong was in there. I was like, come on, like this, what is it? April 1st? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening here? Uh, it's just completely and utterly mind blowing to me. I can't, I can't explain it because I, I was the guy who bought all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy all those figure sets and love them so much. And now my guy's in with them. Uh, it just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's so odd. So odd. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm curious too to hear that transition between so the Furchester Hotel was a show that was it was co-produced with Sesame Workshop, right? Um yeah, but, but yep. it aired on the BBC. And then Gonger makes the transition to Sesame Street and there's, you know, the the Cookie Monsters foodie truck segments. Like what was that just going from kind of the separate entity into, you know, the main thing and and being on the street there and on that stage? Like how did how did that happen that transition so the show was the Furchester show was coming to an end we could see the end was in sight here and by this point we would have done by the end of the run we had done 104 episodes wow. which is the magic number yeah because then those shows can run and run and run they can repeat you know by the time you've watched the last episode you've forgotten the first one yeah because it's been like a year or something so I knew it was coming to an end and 
I, in my mind, I was like, this can't come to an end. Yeah. This is the, I'm having the best time of my life. <laughs> and, and backing up too, was this the first, like, was Gonger the first kind of Henson Muppet that you'd performed? Was that like your first experience with that kind of breed um, of puppeteering? Or? Like the first of note. Okay. I've been around them before. Like I worked with Kevin Clash, who was Elmo. Sure. Like uh, 12 years ago now, probably when Elmo would come to England, I would assist him. Okay. And we'd you know, go and do promotional um, appearances and stuff and all that kind of thing. So that was my first connection with the Muppets. And then because of that, when Muppets Most Wanted was made here, I got to work on Muppets Most Wanted, okay. the movie. I would like double up for people, you know, because some puppeteers have lots of characters. So sure. when two of their characters are in the same scene, somebody else has to do the one with the who has less dialogue. Yeah. Uh, and things like the doubling up and assisting and just doing, you know, whatever else needs to be doing so i did things like that with the henson company we did a show called uh, that puppet game show but i was never the lead gotcha i was always like an assistant or a double up or you know doing everything else that needed doing help basically gotcha so you've got a character now and you've got the show coming to an end yeah yeah and all that stuff was great because it meant by the time we got to the furchester hotel i wasn't nervous at all i was like i know this world yeah you know i knew it or i knew those things already because i'm such a fan of it but now I was like, you know, because when you first pick up a Muppet, you're like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> this is a Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad that I've gotten that out of the way by the time we got to the Furchester Hotel. Not to say like when the boxes came with the puppets, I was still going, ah, yeah. all these puppets. It's like Christmas morning. And I did all the guests on, not all of the guests, but lots of guests on the first series of the Furchester. So every episode's a new guest. Yeah. And I got to do loads of those. But this was the first time I had one that I could now develop and take forward. So when the show was coming to an end, I didn't want it to end. Right. So I started coming up with this idea of the foodie truck. And my thoughts were that the foodie truck would be a spin-off of the Furchester Hotel. Once that show's finished, we would see the truck taking orders in the kitchen and delivering the food to people. Gotcha. And, you know, it just kind of rolled along and became a sesame, a part of Sesame Street. <laughs> and I had help. It wasn't just my, me. I had help with Carolyn Prente, who was the exec. And the other puppeteers had input and stuff. And we were like throwing it around. And we made a pilot. I wrote a pilot. And there was a foodie truck outside of the studio. And I went, I'm kind of like, I like to just do things. Yeah. Like when I, when I have the idea, I'm like, well, I just want to do it. Because then we can show it to someone. Or, you know, if sit here and explain it. It's two monsters and they're in a food truck. And it all becomes like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So I'm like, let's write it. Let's go, go outside to the foodie truck. And I said to the guy, can you leave me alone with your truck for an hour at lunchtime? I'll give you 50 pounds. <laughs> I took out 50 pounds. I was prepared, gave it to him. He yeah. was like, hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> we shot the pilot on iPhones. We just yeah. set our phones up around and that's what sold it. Wow. It's not too different from what we see on TV. Yeah. You know, it's just the same kind of format and everything. It's interesting too, because I feel like there's so many elements of it that just make it like of this moment. Like just, I don't know about in the UK, but certainly here, like food trucks are a huge thing. And, you know, there's food truck festivals, uh, you know, people park yeah. 20 of them and you can go around to different vendors and things. We had one of those here outside uh -huh. the studio. Oh, okay. And, that, and I was like talking to all the guys and taking photographs of their yeah. trucks. And the other guys were like, the puppeteers were like, What's, you're crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get lunch. <laughs> right. But like that, that's a thing that I feel like was, I guess they existed like 10 years ago, but they weren't they weren't the sensation they are now. And then I feel like there's this focus on like healthier eating, you know, just seeing cookie monster, like make good food and not just downing cookies. Like there, yeah. there's, just, I feel like there's just a lot of stuff that the foodie truck segments check 
that make them like really timely. And mm. how much of that do you feel like was intentional and how much of it is just, you know, serendipitous, I guess. It kind of was intentional. And it was also, also my, because I'm a fan of the show and always have been, Yeah, I wanted to bring back the, like the, the making v- VTs, the videos yeah. of like how things are made. Cause yeah, I love yeah. all that stuff. Sure. Factory you know, visits and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And they used to do that loads in the old days, but then somehow it kind of got lost along the way. So I was so pleased to like get that back. That was also in the pilot. And we yeah. had like how um, pasta was made, I think. Okay. And just like sourcing that material, I'm, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Just yeah. like we never get to go inside those factories and see, or go to the farms and see how these things happen. So it, it, all that was intentional, really, I suppose. No, it, it's amazing just, again, how it works and kind of how it resonates. You know, I forget if it was last year or two years ago, um, but my son wanted a food truck as his birthday present. Uh, like the a one, real food truck well the, the one we found was like it was like a little tykes one that i think it's for like ages 18 months or something it's literally meant for like babies to like learn to stand up on and that sort That's of thing cool. yeah. but he is almost six now and like hangs out in it still like almost <laughs> daily and it's because of of this segment that you know and w- we had read reviews before we bought it because my wife was just like we should do this and like it's it's like a baby toy. What is this? But there were people on it that said, "Oh yeah, I have a you know a ten year old that plays with it." So we're like, "Okay, we'll try <laughs> oh, that's it. so cool." And it's been again. I forget if it's a year or two now, but we've had it for a while, and it's like still to this day his favorite toy, which is wild. It's so funny, but... but I think like it's the interest in you know again like you don't get to go inside a food truck. Yeah, that's you, true. You're always on the outside looking in, and yeah. it looks fun. Yeah, all like, the stainless steel. And, and the yeah, and it's like and... a theater, isn't it? Like there's the, yeah, I guess you know, so. there's like the the cinnamon box. stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm always like interested like you know, what does it look like in the sewers? Yeah. I want to go and look in the sewer. <laughs> it's all that kind of thing, you know, like the places you don't get to go. I love right. to like look inside them. And it's such a, a cool way to come up with shows like that, you know, where are they set? Yeah. The first just a hotel in a hotel. It's such a great great plate like on a street it's just genius isn't it like the show set on the street (laughs) it's perfect but like you know the places we don't get to see i think are so interesting and to kids especially like i know that my daughter would love to go inside a real food truck and have a look around and open all the cupboards and and just see how it works yeah no totally that you're definitely under something there and that's uh yeah, it's interesting. Just the, those off-limits places are they're really yeah. intriguing. Because I also like to watch those drone shows oh, where sure. they send like they send a drone to somewhere that you just can't get to. Yeah, you know, I've seen I them fly one like into a. There was like a volcano in Iceland that they were flying one into, and it brilliant. Was just, yeah, yeah. It was like it was on live TV here. Actually, it was on Good Morning America, one of our morning shows, and it was like a four-minute segment of literally just like the drone takes off, and it's like with the anchor, you know a mile or two away from this thing. And then it's yeah. just flying and her narrating it the whole time. And just, uh, she's there with like a, a geologist or something. And he's just like, okay, mm. now you can see we're going over this. You see the color change here in the lava. And I'm just like, eyes fucking out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where are we going? Um, I want to ask you too, just about with all of your characters, but I feel like with Dodge in particular, there's such an, an improv piece to it and having to be quick and whether it's with the other performers or the presenters you're working with or celebrities that come in do you have an improv comedy background at all or like where did how do you learn that skill yeah i don't actually and there was a time when i was scared of it yeah quite a while ago now but like i was working in tv for a few years and it was all scripted the comedy you know we'd figure it out and we were doing a particular thing where the one character didn't speak english he had his own made up by us language it was a cactus and he would speak Cactinian. 
So he would talk to the presenter and the presenter would have to translate in clever ways, you know, not just, oh, you just said this, you know, he'd, he'd have to answer in a, a clever way to let the audience know what this guy is saying. Right. And so it was so tightly scripted, that comedy and quick and snappy. So I was really used to that and very comfortable in that place, <laughs> you know, follow the script to, to the T. We know where the camera cuts are. We know everything. And it was live TV. Yeah. So you couldn't mess up. You had to be on your A game. Otherwise it would just completely derail (laughs) and then uh that character kind of got successful so we made so we went away and made some shows with him and my friend phil fletcher came in and covered me on that shift of the live show with his character hack on the dog he's fantastic at improv and he has been doing live show cabaret shows with an audience for years at that point so he's just snappy and quick and like has an answer for everything and it's always hilarious funniest guy i've ever met so he was paired up with a stand-up comedian presenter so i come back from making these shows and i think i'm fantastic and everything <laughs> and i get dropped into their world now. yeah and they're just like it's live tv and we have a script and i'm used to like sticking to the script word for word because right. all the cues you know cues for the sound effects or the or you know whatever the camera cuts and the presenter they're just doing it it's yeah. just happening and i'm in the middle of it going oh no what what, what? hang on when do i say this line that's right. scripted and they're like oh we've passed that ages ago <laughs> we're not going to do that anymore we've changed the whole plan and nobody told me they were like yeah we didn't tell each other it just yeah. happens it just evolves and so i just learned whilst being on live television with those guys to like lose the fear get involved i didn't know like you know the rule of uh you never say no right i don't know nobody told me <laughs> i learned the hard way yeah. <laughs> i said it. i did it i made all the mistakes live on tv <laughs> yeah. you're talking about the improv thing of just like the improv the yes stuff and, yeah 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 just that, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. Role that yeah yeah they just knew that they yeah. just i don't know they just knew that but i didn't nobody, i don't know i it just wasn't something i'd done before so so i just learned with them along with them and it's kind of it's just like existing isn't it it's yeah. just like living and being comfortable in it you know, just don't stop it. The worst thing you can do is stop what's happening. Right. <laughs> don't don't be blunt. You know, uh, just keep it going. Keep it keep it alive. Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm good at it. I just think I know how to have the character live. Yeah. That just from what you've been saying, like what stands out to me is this idea that you know the character so well but almost that it becomes this separate entity that like, yes, those words have to come from your brain and out of your mouth, but they're also separate from you in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Odd, isn't it? Weird, but I think that's the case. With Dodge, I know that you can drop Dodge into any situation, any situation, and he will just, he will have opinions. He has something to say. He has his own mind, his own thoughts, different to mine, yeah. you know, separate things. I wouldn't say the same things that he would say to that person on this given day. Yeah. I could just, um, I'd be comfortable in any situation. You know, right. we met the queen. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Just like, that's got to be <laughs> stressful. And I, I was nervous. Like we were so blase about it. And then we heard her coming down the corridor Yeah, and then we were nervous. And I was going, oh no, she's the most famous woman in the world. Right. She's the lady that's on the money in our pockets yeah <laughs> like and she's been in power for like 70 years or something at that point. exactly like, yeah, yeah yeah and so i was nervous as me to be me yeah but then as soon as we had those puppets on fine he he knows what he's doing he can deal with it he's not nervous yeah. he's a dog he doesn't care <laughs> um so it's like an element of abandonment when you when you have the characters on and what's funny is we do a lot of improv with those characters sure and it's often live television and stuff 
But we also do that with Cookie Monster and Gonga. Uh-huh. And David, who does Cookie, says like it's like the old days when they used to do the, you know, they just figure things out and try it. And if it's funny, we'll do it. If it's not funny, we'll try it a different way. Yeah. So even though those segments are really scripted, there's, there's always like a place in there that is just us trying it. <laughs> and sometimes we'll do it and look at each other and say, was that any good? Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I think so. Should we keep it? Yeah, let's just keep it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, I think that that's why it's appealing. I think that is uh, one element of why it's appealing because maybe it comes across that we don't really know what we're going to do yeah. at some points there. It's that Jim and Frank energy of, you know, Kermit and Piggy or Bert and Ernie or like where, and again, because my son's into it, like we have an HBO subscription now and have been watching, you know, he, he'll just pick a random, like, let's watch a show from 1987 today. And right. I noticed just there's so much more banter in those old shows that like even I can kind of tell where the script is that, you know, oh, yeah. hey, Bert, you know, check this out. Hey, what do you got there, Ernie? What is that? You know, there's just little things that they're throwing in yeah. there that make mm. it feel so much more real. There's, a, there's always a great script. Yeah, there's always course. a great. There are great script writers and a great script. And it's always brilliant. Yeah. But they will always dance around it. Yeah. They will, you know, look at it, take it in and then interpret it. This is how this character just happens to say his version of that on this day, yeah. which I love. I love watching Jim and Frank do that stuff. And, and like you, like you can see there's the skeleton of the script is there, but they are just doing, they're going over here now. And, oh, is that the right way to go? Oh, they're, they're bringing it back. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And that's how I like always saw Sesame. So when I came to it, that's just the way I wanted to do it. That's the way I wanted to work. Yeah. So I, I, it's just my favorite thing to do. I, I realize how lucky I am. <laughs> That's awesome. But it's all I could ever. It's all I could have ever done. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I just had to do that. I'm constantly creating stuff, like trying to come up with new show ideas and stuff. In lockdown, I came up with loads of stuff, and I was so lucky that like I had. A, I came up with a show and it got commissioned. It's on the air now. Yeah. That's just what I know how to. I just. I can't do other things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know how to come up with a show idea. I know how to design nice looking characters, I think, you know, and I know how to get that to happen. People will say, oh, how long have you been doing it? You know, and I've been doing that very thing since I was tiny. Yeah. I've always been drawing characters. I've always been saying they live in this place and this is their job and this is what they do. And then they, and then there's a theme song that says this. <laughs> and then it's not work. If that's inside you and that's your passion, like it's not work. It's not, no, it's not, it's not work. The traveling is the work. <laughs> The traveling wears me out, but yeah. the work is like, woo, it's time to party. When the puppet's on your hand, that's the easy stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's the oh. easy stuff. It's the easiest bit. Yeah. When the puppet's on, it's the easiest bit. Because at that point, I'm watching the monitor and I'm just being entertained. Yeah. I'm just, ha- I'm just having a good time. Warwick Brownlow Pike. I am so happy that he found something that he's passionate about, that he's done it really his whole life, and that he's able to do it now professionally. It's amazing the impact that he has on my kids, and I'm sure millions of kids across the world. It's really incredible. Don't miss Sesame Street, streaming on HBO Max, and uh, still on PBS as well. You can check it out in both places. And uh, Warwick's got some shows over in the UK if you're over there as well. Check out the CBBC channel for those. 
One also point out, I am doing the podcast now every two weeks. These are bi-weekly shows. If you haven't heard it yet, my interview two weeks ago with Jimmy Duresta was really incredible. Got a lot of great feedback on that. So thank you to everyone who's been listening. And my newsletter's back. I stopped doing that for a while. I actually started that back up maybe two, three months ago. Go to heathrasala.com slash newsletter. You can sign up there. You get it free once a week in your inbox. We are in a new place. I'm trying to figure that out myself, or at least uh, trying to help get there with you. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Give me a follow over there. Let's talk about what you like about this show and who you want to hear from next. And don't forget the newsletter, heathrosella.com slash newsletter. Subscribe to the podcast. See you in two weeks. Be safe.